Oh, well, Gav, will you? Let's get this show on the road. Before I start talking about Gavin Quinn to the studio. Gavin Quinn. Right and again, they'll find out on there as Andrew Conway is away. And Andrew Conway surfs the Irish wave. CJ Stanley. Wherever you are right now, Tony Keady, I know you're smiling. Because Conway will rejoice like never before. It's the coming over. And he's got the cross in. And a chance here, McLean! He's done it again! James McLean puts Ireland in front. Rock kicking up into the air. And over the ball. And Dublin have surely won the All-Ireland. Hello and welcome to the final episode of Action Replay Extra Time of 2017. Gavin here and I'm joined in studio by Alex Dunn, Luke Redmond and Ian Brennan as we take a bit, bit of a look back at uh, 2017 in, in general with a few awards to give out as well as taking a look at Champions League action this week and the final round of group games with a few of the matches taking place last night and as well as tonight. So we'll start with uh, Group A lads and Manchester United, they were already qualified, already shoot to last 16 realistically and they had to come back from behind against... CSK Moscow, CSK Moscow, where we saw one of the most bizarre um, football rulings, uh, one that was perfectly legal and one that I actually didn't know existed until last night. It was the correct decision until they decided to uh, to give the goal to Vitinho in the end. So can you walk us through what this position was like? What so essentially, was? what happened was Vitinho of CSK Moscow took a shot that ricocheted off uh, Alan Jagwev, who was behind the Manchester United defensive line, uh, in an, what seemed to be an offside position, and the deflection took the goal took the ball past Avdeh and into the net however it was deemed that he was onside because Daly Blind who had slid uh, Saul Campbell-esque one would say off the pitch um, was judged to still be um, in the phase of play and yeah. therefore when a player goes off the pitch in a phase of play without the referee's permission um, they are judged to be in effect on the sideline standing on yeah. the sideline when judged for offside so literally there's no such thing as offside then if just one like if that player is out of play yeah, uh, yeah Alan Zagwell was onside yeah. in that yeah. case yeah which was the correct decision and a ruling that I've never personally seen in, in football but uh, yeah um, it, w- it was an interesting one it was interesting then that they gave the goal to Vitinho because his shot was going wide it was a significant deflection off Alan Zagwell but that's one for the dubious goals committee to debate not um, short though it, it was a good call by the referee it was a good call Hulahan to swing it over the top Hendrick is there Hendrick back in danger zone it's there it's there it's John O'Shea on his 100th international who brings Ireland level in the final minute of additional time and this is the most Cross in, and a chance here, McLean! He's done it again! James McLean puts Ireland in front! No, 
know, in, in <laughs> fairness, we've only scored 12 goals in this qualifying campaign and seven of them came against Georgia and Moldova combined. So that's five goals across six games against our genuine um, group competitors, which is 0.8 goals a game or whatever, which is a stunningly below average record for a site that's managed to make the playoffs. I think that it's an achievement in itself for making the playoffs because, yeah, we qualified for Euro 2016, but we did so in an expanded tournament when we finished third in a group that mm. we wouldn't have done if that was Euro 2012. And I think that qualifying for that has skewed our ambitions a little bit. I think we've done excellent work to get to this position now. Yeah, yeah it's can. an incredible achievement yeah. to finish second in a group that had Serbia, Wales, ourselves and Austria because that's a, a group of four very evenly matched teams. Yeah. So we've done well to finish second considering we couldn't even manage that albeit against a tough uh, group last time we we had to take third. There's just something about Ireland where we just can't qualify automatically, you know. We'll always finish way. in the playoff yeah. spot. Yeah, I think honestly, like, okay, so we're saying like before like um, September last year or whatever, before the first games, we're thinking, right, this is going to be a tough campaign against, you know, three different teams who are similar level to us, if not better than us. I'd say Wales, at least on paper, and Serbia, at least on paper beforehand. I don't know. I think I, you, take, you take our bail out of the Wales team and. Well, evidently. They, they, they're atta- like you saw for 40 minutes against us. Balls in the box, balls in the box, balls. They've got no Open imagination. Ashley William, Ashley the, the thing is, is that, though, is that what I'm saying is at least when we're looking at it on paper, at the start of the campaign, we're, we're like what Ian was saying yeah. in September of last year, or two years ago, I'm sorry. Um, we was last year. No, it was last year, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, we would have looked at that and thought at least Wales could name a Premier League quality player in every position other mm. than James Chester when he's got relegated with Villa but he probably could still play as a Premier League centre half Yeah, even without Bale in the side do you know what I mean you, you, you can say that but again like goes back to Gavin's point the international football is a different animal and the way Wales yeah. played during that campaign didn't inspire me with confidence uh, when Gareth Bale wasn't playing yeah, and that's yeah. Like but Bale I'd say hasn't actually had a very good. I'd season. say after after the first four games when True. we had we had, we had ten points after the first four games, you know, incredible start to the campaign, and we were all thinking, you know, oh, we could act. This could actually be our campaign, and we could take this by the scruff of the neck and finish top. And up until the last game, we had a chance of finishing top, and we nearly did with Georgia, um, nearly doing us a favor against Serbia. But I think. Yeah, it's just something about Ireland that we always managed to just get into the playoff spot. Yeah, like we had ten points after four games, and I'd be talking to people in Ireland, and be like, "Oh yeah, I'm already looking for caravans to go to Russia." Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's only four games into the qualifying campaign, and they managed to throw it away. We did automatically qualify for USA '94, but there was no playoffs. <laughs> Yeah, we still there finished, we, go. we still finished second to Spain. Oh, there's no I was, like, finished, like, oh. I was just yeah, rapidly scrolling through my phone. I'm like, I know there was one time we didn't go through the playoffs. And I'm like, all right, there was, but there was no playoffs, and we still came second behind Spain. Yeah. But we beat out Denmark, which is a good omen. And, good. Oh. and, and, and in uh, fairness, when there US, was no playoffs. USA USA '94, they that was the Denmark team that just won Euro '92. Yeah, and we beat them. Did, well, we beat hold them on, hard. did we beat them? We beat them. We were. It was nil all in Copenhagen, and it was one all in Lansdowne. So no, we didn't. But yeah, but that. Yeah, but that's that's a Denmark team that had both Lyodrops and Schmeichel yeah. in it. So it's that. That was a very decent Denmark team. We actually went through. Scuffling away free. That's for Jørgensen. On for Eriksson. Christian Eriksson. Me, what a goal that was! Two goals in three minutes, and this tie has been turned on its head. 
I think Myler was largely ineffective in the first half. Mm, no moments definitely. of no. Yeah, well, um, once they once they have the lead and the initiative in the tie, David Myler see, uh, ceases to serve a role because his role is to mop things up. Yeah, you know, mm. keep us in the game. We were already down. You know, we needed a goal. It that made sense, but. What didn't make sense was the second change and one Aidan McGeady of all players to call on. Mm. I mean, there were options. I mean, O'Dowd was featured in the first leg. Conor Horahan. Conor Horahan is, is another good option. He could have even played two up front and maybe gone, you know, with that, with Shane Long. But he decides to bring on, on a man who, since 2014, has done little to nothing in an Irish shirt, little to nothing for any of the clubs he's featured for. Yeah. Uh, and that 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 was the first mind-boggling thing was that he was bringing on Aidan McGeady but then the second mind-boggling thing was that he was taking off our policeman of the midfield Harry Arthur it made no sense on our, so many levels our best but, player in the transition as well and without Arthur there in the middle to pick up the ball and play a quick distribution pass out to the wing which is something that seems so small but like as a ta- as a tactical weapon it's so 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 effective if you do it right and you can set us off really quickly just like that McLean chance we can build chances on the counter like that with players like Arthur to feed that ball out Myler can't do it he hasn't got the peripheral vision he hasn't got the passing ability like you said if we're not defending a lead David Myler's role in his side ceased to exist and we probably shouldn't have played him from the beginning if we were looking to get a goal but ultimately what we then lacked is that ability to transition from defence into attack and our best player for that was ripped off the pitch and we brought on a man in Aidan McGeady I wouldn't be as critical as you and I would say he did good things with Preston last season but a man who's been incredibly found out over so many times in an Ireland jersey for the same kind of two skill moves and sure, trying to and, and, and limiting our play wide, uh, out wide because he's drifting in he's drifting in he's drifting in he's kind of given this weird sort of free roll where he's a right winger nominally but he never really goes there he can kind of go wherever he wants yeah. I don't know if that's tactical naivety on his part or what because it certainly should have been him on Peony Sisto for the fourth goal I know that when you've got three, when Denmark are playing 3-4-3 three, three, your right winger in a midfield four is supposed to be covering the left wing back and Peony Sisto had as much space he had the freedom of Dublin City Bob Geldof handed it to him <laughs> Bob Geldof handed it to him and Aidan McGeady was supposed to be there to stop it and he didn't and that's where that fourth goal came from I don't blame Stephen Ward's botch clearance at the end of the day Stephen Ward and Cyrus Christie ended up playing as our two uh, centre backs it's unbelievable yeah. like that, that's another one we get to but what, what, where I actually was from the start where it went wrong for me was when Aga Harida decided to throw a curveball at all of us and play Christiansen uh, and play a back three with Karen yeah. yeah. we were not ready for that I don't think anybody was ready for that who would have suspected that I don't think Martin O'Neill did I certainly didn't now you could argue you know that's just naivety on our part but I mean if any of you here expected it feel free to say it but I didn't and no, when that when that happened all, I was worried because that, mean, that meant they had four in the midfield yeah. and then we set up in a diamond and their two central midfielders Ericsson had freedom of the pitch and then Pioni Sisto was lethal on the left coming in on the right and the two of them were I'll, I'll, I'll probably end up saying this about 10 times they, they ripped us apart because particularly in the second half because we had nobody to, to track them and that's why we conceded five goals because we've let one of the most creative players in the world let's not lie in Christian Eriksen and yeah. a very talented winger in Pioni Sisto have like you said the freedom of Dublin City to run around and do what they wanted 
and it was like Ireland just didn't care and it felt really felt like Martin O'Neill didn't care when he took off Kieran Clark and put on Shane Long Scott Hogan no 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 And there's nothing to say that we can't support a fully matured, for lack of better phrasing, professional league in Ireland because at the end of the day, you look at countries and I know the argument is always made that our focus is on other sports. Look! Look at um, take Scotland for example. There's we've got more people living here than there is in Scotland, and Scotland have rugby to to compete just as much as we do, and Scotland also have uh, their own native sports to compete, just maybe not to the same level as GAA, but just you know just yeah, as much as we do. Similar and, level. And and in fairness to the GAA, a lot of people who support GAA are also going out to like their local football matches as well. Not not to the same extent for Ireland, and I, I will admit that um, when it comes around to TV, but it's always falling like, oh, where did all these fans come from? But, you know, people who are involved in local sport are generally involved in local sport across the spectrum. So, yeah, 100%. It's the fact that it's just... The organisation is completely fraught with issues from top to bottom. Does it all of a sudden end when you replace the the manager of the national team but what about one manager who represents the league of ireland and you brought him up Stephen kenny i mean would that be a symbolic yeah. not only a, a, a change in the way we play but a change in change in ha- thinking. Ha- how it, the fai think yes yeah, so like, could that be symbolic enough to maybe change everything i hope so but i don't know the thing is that i've made the point about Stephen Kenny in conversation and there's been a lot of people who have just immediately dismissed going ah what's he done outside of Dundalk I'm like oh right he went over to um, Dunfermline and got them promoted to the SPL now admittedly he didn't get them much further but nobody else has gotten them much further since and that yeah. was 10 years ago um, and he's done very very good things obviously in our league he's won with Bowes won with Dundalk He's gone to talk to Europe, Europa League group stages. And they didn't, almost they didn't, in the they they didn't make any fools of themselves whatsoever. No, they didn't. They nearly well. beat Zenit in two occasions. Yep, absolutely. So, uh, like, first, the public perception of Irish domestic football could be drastically altered by the appointment of a League of Ireland man in Kenny mm. as their national team manager. And if, if you want to go the whole hog, have Harry Kenny from who recently left Bray Wanderers take up a role at the FAI as, as his assistant manager. But um, um, And, you know, let's let's just go all in on it. But how are you going to convince the higher-ups who make the decisions when they have the same public perception, a public perception that they, more than anyone else, have helped to create about Irish football They have yeah. because of the lack of support shown to the individual clubs um, within the Irish footballing system and it's just a roundabout cycle of not helping and making the problem worse making the problem worse in the the perception of the public then making the problem worse in the perception of the FAI which it all comes back to them but think of another any country across Europe it's very hard to think of one that doesn't have a club that has done it been there and gone far in European football There's, there's essentially no countries in Europe bar a couple others 
Well, well, no, like, uh, well, uh, to, to clarify, no countries in Europe whose national teams regularly qualify. Exactly. Because we're not going to say, like, oh, uh, you know, those Macedonians are always getting to the Champions League. No, we're, ta- we're talking. Well, but no, but, uh, no, but I, I understand your point. You know, yeah. Slovenia have uh, Maribor, um, Slovakia have, ah, um, oh, there is a, there's a Slovan Bratislava there. Knocking about um, Bulgaria, Stoy, even Romania have style Bucharest. Ludogorets from Bulgaria. Um, Ludogorets, yeah. Um, um, who else is there? Well, I mean, Cyprus have Apoel. Apoel, and you know this goes on and on and on. Shakhtar Donetsk. Like, and these are not big countries, and these are not countries that are as developed as Ireland in terms of a nation. They're not as wealthy as Ireland. No, they, they're not. They don't have as much of a football pedigree at a national level yeah. as Ireland. Supposedly. So there's no excuses for us not supporting our own national league. The Irish national league should be bigger should be much bigger and it should have been much bigger years ago in my opinion anyway I mean especially when we've got clubs who are qualifying Europe I thought Dundalk yeah. would finally be the, the watershed moment where everybody started to take League of Ireland football seriously again and even if it's a case where I remember that when we were talking about the injection of cash that Dundalk would get from still doing so and so in Europe if we predicted yeah. that they would go far or whatever and a lot of people um, well admittedly I said in a group of Pats fans but a lot of people who turned around to it was like well is that good for a competitiveness of our league and I'm like well if I'm looking at this from a national perspective I don't mind Dundalk and Cork City being our two dominating clubs for the rest of the time as long as it helps people alter their perceptions of League of Ireland football yeah. if Dundalk begin to become regular Europa League qualifiers and possible Champions League contenders if Cork City go on to become regular Europa League qualifiers and do the domestic league of this country proud because you see the reaction that these smaller nations when they progress in tournaments more like the Europa League than the Champions League although we're seeing it this season with Karabag taking two points away from Atletico Madrid which is a massive achievement for them and and, and Azerbaijani football will grow as a result of that it's almost like Ireland have done it backwards We've, we've grown at a national level first and left our domestic clubs behind Azerbaijan are a non-existent at a national level but now they have clubs yeah. who can play football mm. lads what well, I think one point is are kind of overlooking which is one of the reasons why League of Ireland hasn't done so well as well is because when you're a young player in Ireland you're coming through the youth system you want you want to play football at a high level your first thought is in League of Ireland it's across the water well, unfortunately, it's a blessing and it's also a curse that England are right beside us I don't think it's a curse because ultimately the English um, academy system has brought through a lot of Ireland's best players and 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 we have been able to take players back from that system and continue to develop them in our own league Shawnee McGuire came from West Ham and came back James McLean came from uh, geez, he was over in England he came back to Derry City after leaving them when he was and uh, then eventually went over to Sunderland but the thing is that now you're at a point where the Premier League has become such the the Premier League as a if it was a shop if it's a supermarket it's a globalised supermarket and Ireland is one little shelf whereas it used to be the whole thing the British Isles and like Scandinavia and France and whatever where the whole supermarket now it's the whole world in Ireland they're just one little shelf yeah. so you're going to see more players better players coming through at League of Ireland clubs where they're going to get football take the under 21s Ronan Curtis Dirty City starting up top Yeah. and Ronan Curtis right, has been able to attract um, interest in him from Ostersunds the club over in Sweden and what we're talking is success stories in smaller nations Ostersunds over in Sweden are doing fantastic things top in the Europa League group at the mm-hmm. moment Sweden, of course, are going to the World Cup as a defeat in Italy, and I could do a 45 minutes in Italy if you wanted me to, but I won't get into that. 
2018, I should say. And um, the main event, Jose Aldo stepping back in to the fray to try and take um, the featherweight strap off my boy, Max Holloway. Your boy. One of Max my personal favorite fighters. Yeah, okay. yeah. I can appreciate that, yeah. He is definitely a sick fighter, but I don't think this whole Aldo comes back. I, I always say this when it comes to a champion. Whenever they lose once, they lose whatever it was that was kind of driving them for so long. And I didn't, I just, it's not a thing. It just ends up becoming a thing with every fighter I've ever seen. I mean, you see Johnny Hendricks, champion at a young age. Now he just gets bit to shit by the eraser, mm. uh, who's actually sick. He's going to be unreal. You get, I don't know, I suppose we'll see if anyone else really comes back. I mean, but Robbie Lawler, RDA. I haven't really seen much. I mean, they're, they're still in the rankings. Yeah. But they ain't going to be champion anytime soon. Yeah. I mean, Lawler had a great fight there with um, Kelby Cerrone the last time out, but uh, at the same time, it was it was, it was was a nothing fight. Just yeah. kind of give the two of them. But then again, you, you know. look at Cerrone, and I mean, Darren Hill just absolutely rearranged his face. Yes, he did. Yeah. <laughs> the problem for Aldo is this is a fight to get a fight. Um, yeah. It's, he's, yeah. he's, he's, he, you know, he never recovered from the McGregor fight. Uh, he still wanted that rematch. He still. You know, calls him out on Twitter every now and again, looking for a rematch, and it looks like he's just taking this fight against Max Holloway to say that he's the champion, basically to put it in McGregor's face again. Um, when the problem when you see this in boxing as well is when uh, a world champion loses their belt, often they then go for a fight to get back to a world title fight, and then they lose that fight, and then yeah, it's just you know it's a slippery down. slope. Yeah. And that's where I see Aldo going. Not to mention the point that the, the last time we saw Aldo, he was getting put on his ass by Max. Max yeah. was on a 10-fight win streak going into that. I mean, he's in the form. And admittedly, his climb to the point where he was considered a legitimate title contender and ready for the belt was a slow one, especially by UFC standards. But now, you know, he's at that top level. He put Aldo down. And again, I suppose the question does come back to motivation. If the motivating factor is a second fight with Connor. Um, I don't know if that's going to be enough for him he, he's underestimating no, he Holloway then in that sense and like Holloway is I mean he's frenetic he's energetic yeah. I mean for cuts a fantastic promo after his fights as well which I love I love him for the entertainment factor more than anything else I think he's a great champion um, and you know like I said like for him to have come on such a long path you know it's an inspiring tale is Holloway's the only reason I could see his taking so long was literally the McGregor setback because the two of them were absolute mm. wonder kids they were and yeah. had had Holloway beaten McGregor he would have shot right up for a title fight my god McGregor would have been like they would have thrown him against someone kind of middle of the bag used him as a, pro- a promotional tool for more money but if Holloway had actually beaten him the first time mm. Holloway would have been champ a lot sooner than that mm. and he would have battered Aldo so what do you reckon if you give it a, a prediction oh Holloway, Holloway easy Holloway money Holloway I'm going to go knockout round two. Luke, what do you say? Yeah, I think Holloway is the better fighter. Uh, Aldo's well past his best, so um, probably Holloway round one. I think. Um, I know he's not. He's not. I know he's not. The, I know he's not. The, he's not the, the the quickest nor the biggest uh, knockout puncher. But I don't know. I think. I think. I think. I, I think. I think Aldo is 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 a weak target now, and he's just he's a name as opposed to a good fighter. Yeah. And speaking of names as opposed to a couple fighters, like that's pretty much the entire most of the UFC heavyweight division at the moment. But the main fight on the undercards, um, your boy, Francis Ngannou. Am I saying that correctly? Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, Francis Ngannou. Uh, Ngannou. yeah, coming up against right. Alistair Overeem, who and I mean the thing with the I love the heavy- too now, to be fair. But the thing with the heavyweight division is at the moment is that there's a, it, it's a lot of names that have been there for quite a while. Mm. And then Ganu's come in and he's really a he's just big, he's massive a scary man. Six foot four, two fifty five, he's a physical specimen yeah. massive French bloke and he is really been a breath of fresh air 
yes, in the no, division 100%. more than anything else. Well, actually, even so, I mean, there's finally starting to be a bit of youth, uh, youth coming up. There was a lad last week, massive heavyweight dude, and he was like, he kind of looks, he just looks like a Mark Hunt 2.0, mm. but he came in with the most, ins- he threw a leg kick. Uh, I think he was copying Corey Covington there, or Kobe Covington, because he just took the leg out from him, and your man's legs are weak. Mm. But then as soon as he got back up, flying knee to the face knocks him out. A heavyweight doesn't oh, I saw do that. that. Yeah, I did see that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What was, was his name? Like, I actually, that's what I'm struggling to think. But I remember yeah, Mark yeah. I remember praising seeing, him. Yeah, <laughs> one of the knockouts of the year. Like just yeah. absolutely took his head off. Oh, it was sweet. <laughs> it was so sweet. Yeah, but I think. Yeah. Not on Ingenu. Um, yeah, he's he's Ingenu's, um early loss in his career. Um, Who was his loss? I, I I can't remember, but he lost. I think maybe a second or third fight in his career. And he's just gone from strength to strength then. As opposed to Overeem, uh, maybe some people think he was lucky against Fabricio Verdum. Uh, yeah. A majority decision, which is, you know, it sketchy. Was it was, it, it, it wasn't, it was, I don't, it was a, it was a good fight. Maybe not the best fight. But yeah. he was maybe a little bit lucky there. So I think Inganu going into that one is the favour for me. Big Brad Thorne. Brad Thorne, big time. Brad Thorne. Brad Thorne. Brad Thorne. The biggest, the baddest, the best. Brad Thorne. But first, we're going to talk about Rugby Champions Cup action that's just finished as of the weekend gone by. Leinster versus Montpellier. Ian, you and I were actually at the game. What we did were. you think uh, overall from um, the performance? It was, it was, it was a bit of a scrappy performance, but overall, it was, it was quite good. Like in, we. We we dealt with Montpellier's threat, I think, quite well. Um, they got over for a couple of tries, but Nadolo he's just too strong. You can't stop him sometimes. Um, it was you know it was a good performance. We got a bonus point, which is any like all you can really ask for. Three three tries. Um, Carberry had a bit of an off day, but at the same time, he was the one who got the scoring started. So you can't really criticize him too much for that. Um, Glad to see you're already saying we. You're in that camp. We beat Montpellier. You, you're, you're, um, you were playing on the day. I was. I was. I was there. I yeah. was. <laughs> I was. I was ready. I had, I had my. I had my kit on me. Um, no, it was. I. Uh, I just. I don't. I, well, I wouldn't follow rugby that that closely. But I was at the match. Um, and yeah, like I just. I've. I like I do technically live in Leinster now, so yeah, yeah. You are a Leinster man. Well, I, I thought it was a I thought it was a terrific performance. Montpellier came over with a huge pack. I think you know many people are saying that they take on pretty much nearly any international team in terms of just sheer size. Even though they've downsized from a couple of players last year, they've they've lost one or two second rowers, a couple of back rowers. Um, but they've brought in Louis Picamo to just take over the the whole physicality element to kind of create that platform for such players like you know Nadolo or Benjamin Fall. Great to see him back. He's had a few years with France and he's been that topsy-turvy with injury but I think Nadolo was just just an incredible incredible specimen to see in the RDS you know it's quite a small pitch I don't know if people have been to the RDS but it, it looks small it looks enclosed you know it's completely different size of pitch I think anyway to, to the RD, uh, to the Aviva even regardless of the, the stadia around it but uh, Nadolo taking up that, 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 that wing against Leinster was a was just a serious a serious uh, player and to see Adam Byrne bounce off him so many times as he did, uh, you know, th- not through lack of trying, but he definitely made up for it in the, the attacking sense because his defensive game certainly needs a lot of work. You mentioned Joey Carberry, Ian. You weren't, you weren't particularly happy with his performance? 
Um, he it was it was it was quite scrappy. He had, he is he had moments of brilliance, uh, obviously with the try or whatever. But he his kicking left a lot to be desired, and he there was there was one there was one moment in the second half where you know he he dropped the ball dropped the ball like inside his five meter line with yeah. with Montpellier. Unfortunately, it was it was given I think as a scrum to Leinster anyway. But you know you can't really be doing that. Um, against a side like Montpellier, who who have, as you said, so much quality. Yeah, um, for, uh, yeah. fourteen of the starting fifteen for Leinster were Irish qualified players, which I think is an incredible statistic when you come back from when you compare it to Montpellier, with where only two, I think, of the entire twenty three have been brought up in the Montpellier underage system. Louis Piccomo played his early rugby for Montpellier, but as you know, it spent most of his time in Toulouse, and their fly half, whose name I can't pronounce, uh, was. Uh, <laughs> Is just an underage player. He's been playing with France in their twenties, and um, he's their only other player. After that, every other player has been brought in, whether it's from Georgia, South Africa, from Jake White. So yeah. it's it's a pretty pretty good model that Leinster have compared to the money that Moed Altrad has, has invested. Gaver, are you are you glad to see Leinster using Irish players above all else? Yeah, it's definitely good for the Irish game. You know, like for Leinster and pretty much all the provinces, really. When you put it into perspective, that. We do use Irish players. It's good for Irish rugby, especially with only the four provinces. But um, my question would be now, is is that a sustainable model that Montpellier, Montpellier can continue or will they have to eventually look towards academy and try and produce these players? Well, I think Nathan Hines before and after the game, uh, Montpellier's new Fords coach said that looking at the Leinster conveyor belt, you know, that school system in in the province, it's, it's incredible. And he was very aware that you know, that the financial element of Montpellier might be able to be sustained. You look at Toulon, who uh, were promoted from the the Pro D2, who eventually went on to win three Heineken Cups in a row, three Champions Cups in a row. Uh, now, where are they? You know, they're, they're yeah. stumbling. They're not competing uh, at the top end of the, the top 14. You know, consistently, they are making playoffs, but they're not really challenging. The light, although yeah. they did beat La Rochelle, who look, who look like the real deal. I would say that, that that financial model isn't sustainable, no, and that you can pump as much money into it as you like, but if there aren't players coming in and competing for these these ageing players, I think that's it as well, that, that these big books mm. are going to players who are on their way out, who do have a season or two left in them, uh, the likes of, you know, in too long, Johnny Wilkinson and Joan Smith and Backies both, uh, Ali Williams, you know, these guys are all, are, are all retired now, and it's only a year or two after their success in the Champions Cup, Aaron Cruden, Louis Piccamole, you know, they are younger players. They are in their 30s. Ruin Pienaar's 33, but he looks fit uh, fit as ever, which is, is good to see. And Moed Altrad, the the owner of Montpellier now, who's who's kind of brought the fist down on the club. He's he's bashed out any flair champagne rugby that they did have. He brought in Jake White, the, the 2007 world winning uh, World Cup winning coach, and, and he brought in a brutish loads of South Africans. They broke so many player policies in terms of imports and there's some shady dealings going on with bribes over players being banned to yeah. to short yeah, yeah. the bannings commission with so it's it's that financial model is already being undermined by the money that he is throwing around in the wrong way so Gav, I think you're definitely right to ask that question and no I don't see uh, the Montpellier formula continuing for very long yeah, yeah, I think another the Ireland side to play Italy has come out um 
the one that's supposed to everyone will be talking about was Jordan Larmer. He is in the squad. He's not starting. We've gone with the same back five, much to, I guess, Billy Keenan's chagrin, because Rob Carney's still in there full back. No, Billy Keenan won't mind Rob Carney. He's actually kind of turned. It's a bit of a face turn on Billy's part. Yeah, Billy, uh, Billy, only might, Billy only doesn't like Rob Carney when he's injured. And he's, yeah, when he's he coming is, in and out. He is fit at the moment. Yeah. So. So yeah, I think Billy's pretty happy about it. We've that. made four changes in the forwards. Um Jack McGrath for King Healy. Um we have Devin Toner coming in for James Ryan, who is out of the twenty three altogether. Um, Surprising. Da- mm, think- we're gonna come on to that. Uh, yeah. Dan Levy in for Josh Van der Fleer, which is obviously an enforced change due to his yeah. unfortunate injury. And Jack Conan in LA for CJ Stander, I guess just to give him a rest because it's Italy. Um yeah. Very James surprised. Ryan. Very surprised to see actually Stockdale in there. He was terrible. Yeah, I thought, yeah, they, I yeah, thought they might have gone with Conway over Stockdale. Yeah, I, I was actually calling on actually playing Monday for Conway to start, but yeah. um, it wasn't a game for Ireland. I think maybe really shine though was. I mean, I it was very think, much yeah. a you know. A very it could have been though. Probably. I think for what what uh, what Martin O'Neill, what Joe Smith is attempting <laughs> to do here is just to give, they've they've seen yeah. their styles of football, don't they? There's just actually just build it. Yeah. There's <laughs> actually a video of two of them sitting together, and I'd love to see. It. I've never watched it. Two of them talking tactics, and no, I'm not even messing. Like it's just, just, I, I remember I saw a comment actually on the Ireland everything. Yeah. <laughs> I saw a comment on the Iron Wales game afterwards uh, on Twitter and it was like that was like watching us playing at Euro 88 we were just hoofing <laughs> the ball so much <laughs> but uh, yeah I with, mean, our, with our freeway cola football <laughs> <laughs> yeah so surprised to see James Ryan out of the, 20, I, out of the 23 I, yeah, I, I resting think, I or think more, I think that's more of a, a good sign than anything else I think that's, that's true I think that's Joe Schmidt saying this is the future. We want to save him for Italy. We want to play him against Wales, mm. and you know, it could be yeah, or it could be just like a small niggle as well. Let's not forget, yeah. it is rugby yeah. at the end of the day. It's hard to play. It's hard to play a game just a week later. It that is also, true. It yeah. could also be he's trying to get you know that little experience, that little mix of experience yeah. and and inexperience, I suppose, and like um, getting mm. new blood into the team. Because let's not forget, Devin Tony did come in last week and he did put in a shift and then he massive forty one phases. Yeah, he did. And actually, in, in in that back row, of course, we've got Levy and Conan who don't have the same level of caps as Standard would have. So cutting in somebody, yeah, um, maybe it's just a balance of experience. Yeah, so bringing yeah. in Devin Toner, kind of if if you have like two sort of more inexperienced players like Van yeah. der Fleer and um, um, or Le- Le- Levy and Conan. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like you have Van der Fleer and Ryan the first time round, yeah, and you've yeah, got yeah. Levy and Conan the second time round with Toner playing ahead of them. Yeah, uh, no, it, it it makes sense. It makes sense in my head. I am a bit surprised that we kept the same back five. Yeah. Well, like the, yeah, the, the I am very surprised too. The, the, uh, like mm. Sexton and Murray are going to be that's the partnership. That's the that. Partnership that's it. Yeah, yeah. I'm surprised Sexton started. To be honest, I. I oh no, not at all. Italy proved at times against England that they can they can play some rugby. Um, so Sexton's yeah. going to be there for if it's we get embroiled in a in, in a in a fight. You know he's going to be there just to make sure we get those kicks, and I think if we're leading comfortably, he'll come off. He'll come off and let Joey Carberry have a run. Gla- very glad to see Jordan Larmer um, yeah. in the replacements. In the replacements, Ver- yeah. feel, uh, our like, yeah. Coca-Cola player, uh, <laughs> as it were. I, f- I feel I feel like Larmer will probably come on maybe about 50, 55 minutes before Rob Kearney or Jacob yeah. Stockdale, whichever one is doing worse mm. at the time. Or is better depends on if he wants to yeah. keep them. Can't wait. The yeah. No, it's just it's Larmer and Carberry. They're the and uh, Kieran Marmion I see yeah, yeah. Um, I, know, I, I expect yeah. if Larmer comes on looks like he's not nervous and if if he impresses he'll be straight into that starting 15 next, next time well, around what, what we need to remember on that point is the fact that Italy Italy had a very good first half against England but it all went down the drain in the second minutes. half yeah, no was, actually that's very unfair it actually went all down the drain after that forward pass they had the four pass and the try was rule, ruled out. Ruled out, yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. after that, England took control. Yeah. But had they gotten that Italy, they would have been 
within three of England had they got the conversion. Yeah. So that could have that was the moment where the game changed was when and it was a forward pass in fairness. Mm. Uh, that was when that was the, cha- the turning point, I suppose. Yeah. Ho- re- and I really hope we don't have Nigel Owens again, do we? Uh, I t- it doesn't <laughs> say in RTE's report, unfortunately. Um, he was horrendous against France. <laughs> I, I horrendous. Don't, I don't think the ref gets announced until the, until like the day of the match or whatever, or like uh, maybe the day before the match. Is that really the case? I don't know. It's strange. I, I'll tell I, you what. I've, I've, I've never, I've never seen um, a ref be announced like on the same day that the squads are announced. But um, yeah, on on that point, he yeah. Nigel, Nigel Owens didn't have the best yeah and I've, I've obviously following Brian O'Driscoll on Twitter Brian O'Driscoll was Very giving, vocal. Our, giving our yards to him on Twitter he was yeah. like what, whatever about the HIA I, I get about the HIA he's not he's, he's not in a position to overrule a doctor on the HIA yeah, exactly. so I think that true, yeah. that wasn't what I would criticise him for he he made a shocking call on a mid-air collision yeah, that, yeah. Was, uh, the one, that, that was, was a really bad decision yeah. and he was actually I know they've brought in this whole oh no back talk to the referees there's like a zero tolerance zero policy tolerance but he was yeah, actually Rory so Best was simply trying to ask him I'm heartbroken just heed the moment there's a bit of niggling you know I want, 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 want I'm supposed to they're my life you know people are water they're my life you know and just just sorry for the, for the people who offered for what, what I'm after doing today you know and Things were just going through my head, you know, and, and because, like, you know, I, I don't want to leave the people of Walford down, you know, because... I, 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 love, I, love, I love my county, you know. I'm a bit biased, but uh, Dublin host Donegal. Yes, they do. At 7 o'clock. Hi, Ian. That's going to go well, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, um, look... Look, Good I, second half performance from Dublin at the Gavin, weekend. Gavin, after just, Tyrone really put it up to I'm, them. I'm just going to say now, congratulations on the two points. <laughs> I know I wouldn't be I wouldn't be so sure mm, of that, like because the way Donegal yeah. are performing in the first two games, I know they have two losses, they have no points on the board. They're, but let's two, not two, forget two losses by one point. They're by yeah. one point, yeah, they're, they're turning they're into something of a glorious yeah. losers. They're like I was saying with Antrim and the Hurling, where they yeah, really yeah. are, really are going yeah. for it, and it's and just. Like but I would, I would say, developing. I would say that you know Donegal have history of coming up to Dublin, being complete underdogs, and then wiping them, uh, wiping them off the park. <laughs> he says yeah, with a massive beaming smile on his face. I have to get it in because it's all I have at this stage. Yeah. No, um, <laughs> I, no, I, I, I just, I just think the way that you yeah. like swept away Tyrone. Okay, Tyrone have been pretty poor, and I'd say given the whenever we. Come yeah. around, there's a good chance we'll beat them as well. I will yeah. get to that swept, in a few minutes. Swept away is a bit. Well, and now, to, be, to be fair, oh, I no, think. I swe- no, swept, swept away is literally there was a flood, but yeah. Like, it was. <laughs> it was like, the. Um, you, it was. It, you were comfortable against Tyrone. Yeah, I will get to that later on. There was a Just point where it was questionable, but, um, yeah. but of course, Tyrone played into Dublin's hands there, but I won't get into that now. Um, Dublin Donegal has always been a good game in the league. Last year was a draw. Um, Donegal often come to Crow Park with a good game plan and they do frustrate Dublin because mm. I think in recent years it's, been, it's only been one or two yeah, point this, victories this, this is a, di- this this is a, a different Donegal completely different Donegal exactly. and it could be the fact that two attacking teams mm. going against each other and the better attacking team will come out on top I'd say yeah. quite comfortably I'd say it could be 6-7 points how confident are you in this overall transition period for I am, Donegal I'm getting I'm, I am <laughs> quite confident because I'm sure your eyesight is confident because I know your eyes no longer have to bleed looking at the blanket defence <laughs> yeah well like 
Jim Jim McGuinness that, that was that was a lovely like two or three years that we had and it's there gone. It's absolutely over. nothing lovely about that. But anyway, for us it was, and we need to we need we need to put it behind us. But the yeah, you're biased when you have them. It's like totally peerless. The know? way the way we're going forward now, I think, is a lot better and a lot more suited to the future. I because think Joe Brawley won't be having an aneurysm on live television about it at because least especially with the players we have the likes of like Ryan McHugh who's yeah. lightning quick and just turn on a dime like that yeah. you know he's, yeah. look yeah, it, and, and also the fact that our midfield like Jason McGee is is coming to midfield now he's only going to get better he's yeah. only going to get better frees up Michael Murphy to play his natural yeah. position now yeah. instead of being just like the um, like play every position <laughs> all over the pitch one thing yeah. I do want to add about that like you were saying about midfield is they're actually completely refreshing midfield now obviously Jason McGee is going to get better Yeah, his performance is certainly going to get more we, consistent we got a and you, you've poached uh, St Vincent's mainstay in midfield yeah. son of Brian Mullins Nate Mullins mm. yeah, who, is, who is a solid player but um, he can definitely fit into that Donegal team you've got Aaron McNeilish coming back obviously Leo McLoon as well returning to that panel Yeah, it's just going to solidify uh, defence too Paddy is still ridiculously young yeah, well, even though he's been around uh, his, brother, his brother Stephen as well former minor star that day in 2014 when yeah. Donegal beat Dublin he actually ripped Dublin apart in the minor game I believe yeah mm. I know I know. But, there's, um, uh, there's one guy I actually went to school with Stephen McMenamin he's coming back in yeah. the half back line now look you've you've got like the, I've never questioned the actually quality of players in Donegal yeah, I've yeah, only yeah. ever questioned the way they play we've always so had decent players and it was it, like you said it was the tactics like we Around it was around 2010 2011 when McGuinness came in mm. that we suddenly we started to have decent players, or whatever, and that was just because of the tactical offsets. And we got well, found out, but it was kind yeah. of, it was kind of due to the tactics, it complemented the players. Yeah. But let's not forget that in 2010, when Jim McGuinness did come in, mm. that was the year in which Donegal went all the way to an all Ireland final in under 21. They yeah. were actually beaten by Dublin thanks to uh, um, Michael Murphy. Mm. Missing a penalty in the last minute, I think it was a one-point victory for Dublin in the end. He hit the crossbar. Yeah, but um, um, like there was a there was a there was a massive core of players that coming through at that time for Jim mm. McGuinness, and he just found a good system for them, and that's that's why they. Yeah, have and such now, a good team now now I think it's now I think it's it's a similar situation now. We're finding a system that fits the yeah. players, and it's mm. gonna, it's a better system in my eyes. No, just no, I was gonna actually bring up a completely unrelated point to any of that. Just um, I <laughs> didn't obviously watch it. I even I obviously watched GA a lot at the time, but I'm gonna pose this to you: Was that final in Cavan? It could well have been in Breffney Park. Because if it was yeah. in Breffney Park, I was at it, and it was the first Dublin game. I I think it was actually the last Dublin game I've actually been at live. It would have been spring 2010. Michael Murphy hit the crossbar last minute. Yeah, I think it was um, because my a, a mate, a friend of my mother's, her son, um, was actually playing. Well, he was on the bench yeah. for Dublin at the time, but we all went up to mm-hmm. um to Breffney Park to watch the game. So I it was that's actually the last time I've ever been live to a. A Dublin yeah. game. It's been seven years. And to be so honest, you can probably w. attribute that to the for both Donegal and Dublin to the awakening of a new generation because a year later the core of that under twenty one team won the All Ireland for Dublin. They did, yeah. and then the following year Two the core of that under twenty one team won the Under twenty one for Donegal. So um, yeah, I suppose just to move on from there, um, of course, Ian, you you suggested it might be six seven points. I can I, see it being yeah. a tight game. Um, Donegal, if they get if they get a good start, you never know. But, mm. um, it's a testament to the, how well they've been able to you just got two notifications it's a testament to how well <laughs> guess who it is <laughs> now can I just uh, 
Um, yeah, so that concludes all our Champions League talk and our football kind of current affairs talk. And now we get to... <laughs> current affairs. Current affairs, you know what I mean. <laughs> News. I love how we all just went, current affairs. The reason why I actually love Milan Barra so much is because he was so slow and so stupid when he tried to get. <laughs> no, 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 can I, can I, can I finish this point? I love. Like, it's. <laughs> I was going for touch from Pam. <laughs> <laughs> Aim for the corner, but we'll go for it. Balance. He accepts the balance he had with Paul Green going to the Euros with club. Thanks to Gavin, Alex and Ian. This has been Action Replay Extra Time. Thanks very much for listening. Bye for now.